Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Hello, everyone. I'm Cam Connor along with my son, Chris. Podcast number 39, if you can believe it. So we are back. We took a, a little bit of break, which seems to happen during most of the Christmas, New Year's, holiday time off. Summer. <laughs> summer, summer too. But I guess, Dad, for you, it was a, a bit of a, a tough holiday season as you lost your mom probably two and a half, three months after you lost your dad. So I know you want to thank everyone who sent their condolences to you. Uh, did you want to share any thoughts about my grandma, your mom, and if there was any specific hockey memories or any memories that you want to share? Well, you're right, Chris. Uh, you know, I hesitate to put up there when mom died and dad died because everybody on earth has to go through what I went through. And, um, you know, I'm usually like the first guy to cry at a funeral. And I often thought about how would I react when the day comes that my parents die? I thought I was going to break up. But don't get me wrong. I mean, I shed some tears, but I, I held it together way better than I thought I would. Basically because dad died at 99 years old. He was driving up till three weeks before he died. He was healthy. He wanted to live. He ate big meals, as you know, as much as possible. I was surprised at what he could eat. He wanted to keep his weight up. And my dad, he had a flat stomach, so he, was, he wasn't all skin and bones. So he took care of himself, and he walked, and he had, did a lot of movement throughout the day, every day. And so he had a good life. So I was able to just concentrate and think about that. And then same with mom. She died at 89. She wasn't as active as my dad, but both of them, their mind was as sharp as can be, like everybody whose parents pass. I'm just thankful that I had them as long as I did, and uh, Lord, thank you for allowing my parents to live this long, and hopefully I uh, that can come even close to that. I, I don't know what, it, and nobody knows you know, what you have as far as a lifeline, even if your parents live long. Maybe that means you will. Maybe it doesn't. You just never know. So anyways, thanks everybody that uh, sent their, 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 their wishes towards me. That, that was very nice. And as far as, you know, stories, there's, there's a couple that pop into my head. And uh, one was when I was younger. Maybe it was unfair to my other siblings, but because I was in sports and uh, the others really weren't. Mom would always say, Cam, if you get a goal tonight or two goals, we'll cook you a steak. Well, I was always food motivated, that's for sure. And so I don't, I don't know if I tried harder because there was a steak on the line, but I always knew that if I got that goal or two, Mom was cooking me a steak. So uh, that was something that I always loved. And the other thing I think about my mom is I was probably about, I don't know, 33, 35 years old, maybe a little older. I was at, uh, I was at a function and it was over probably about one or two in the morning and I was driving back to my parents' house and we were staying there. 
we were probably two minutes, three minutes from my parents' house, and there was a long stretch of a road in Winnipeg called Elizabeth. And maybe we'll say it's about a mile long, you know, or a kilometer long. And there was four, five, six cars going really slow ahead of me behind one vehicle. And I kind of pulled out and I looked. And there was just one group, one car just going as slow as possible because he could and made everybody else behind him. So I said, piss on this. I'm not standing waiting here for this guy. So I passed everybody when it was safe and I'm going down. And the guy sees me coming from the front of the line. And he moves over into the middle of the road so I couldn't get by him. And uh, as we get to the corner, there's a stop sign. So I pull over beside him and I roll my window down and say a few words with this guy. And uh, I had to turn in front of him because I had to turn right, go about two or three blocks down to my parents' house. And then we turn, go down a back lane about three houses, and that's where my parents' house is. So I pull into the, my parents' driveway, and these guys followed me home. There's two of them, and they parked right behind my vehicle, like but in the alley. And so I get out of the car, and the driver, he gets out of the car. He comes over, and he's being real mouthy. So I take my suit jacket off, and I take my tie off, and I put it on my vehicle, and... Uh, I think the wife was a little bit nervous because we had young kids in the car. So I hear click, 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 click. She locked the door on me. So I said, well, I better win this fight because I'm not getting back in the vehicle. So this guy, I start walking at him and he's just as mouthy as can be. But he's being mouthy, just keeps walking backwards and I can't hit the guy. And so we get about, about a house past my parents' house in the back lane. And then his buddy gets out to the two of them have me up against the fence. So... I got to fight these two guys. And I just said, uh, you guys are pretty tough. Huh? I said, you're lucky. I don't, get, I, I don't go get my brothers. And they said, you got brothers? Go get them. I said, really? So they let me go into my parents' house. And I asked my mother was there. She was still up. And I said, Mom, is Gordon Marshall home? And they said, no, they're both not home. I said, ah, shit, why? I said, don't worry about it. So I went back into the back lane. And uh, these two guys were standing there, and uh, they started laughing at me. And I looked behind me. My mother come out with a wooden spoon to help fight with me. And, and I said, Mom, go back in the house. So these guys say, oh, yeah, he's so tough. He brings his mother to help him. So anyways, it was a little embarrassing. And so the two of them, they thought that was so funny. They jumped in the car and drove away. So that's the story I remember about my mom. And I said, Mom, why would you come out with a wooden spoon? I still don't know her answer, but so those are a couple stories I remember about my mom. And another thing that we had to get through uh, in the past couple of weeks was Edmonton was, I believe, the coldest place on earth, uh, at least for a couple of days. And it was beyond freezing. And that's the time where everyone wonders, why do we live here? And then for some reason we forget. But um, it made me think to ask you if you growing up in Winnipeg, if you had, you would still go outside and practice in all those cold temperatures and if you had any hockey memories from back in the day in Winnipeg in the freezing winter. Well, we all know that the climate uh, has changed from 30, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, it has. In Winnipeg, you could count on wind because, I mean, there's no mountains nearby. It's just the prairie province and that wind, there's nothing to stop it. There really isn't any tall buildings in Winnipeg, and so it blows. And that's really where it gets cold, because you can dress for 20, 30, 40 below weather. 
and it's not bad at all, but that wind cuts right through your clothes. And that is, that is, that's my memories of Winnipeg is that damn wind. You know, you had to walk to school. My parents never drove me to school. I always have to walk. And, uh, you know, as far as the hockey part of it, there's probably, and I'm going to just make up a number, five or six indoor arenas around. Like, there wasn't many, and I don't really know the exact number, but there was hardly a few. Today, you know, these cities got indoor arenas all over the place, but back then there just was very limited indoor arenas. And it was always for the older kids that, that, you know, got to use that ice surface. So when we got to play indoors, it was like, you know, it's like playing in Madison Square Gardens. We were just so excited. And so our practices always was, you know, you had to shovel the ice before you got onto the ice. Some of the parents would get down and shovel. And what you did is you threw the snow over the boards. And so anybody that watches hockey, they know what hockey boards look like in the height of the hockey boards. And so the season starts, you throw it over the boards, you throw it over the snow over the boards. And then halfway through the year, the snow on the other side of the ice, on the other side of the boards, that snow is as high as the boards now. And so as the year goes along, I'm not exaggerating one little bit. You add another four feet high, five feet high. That's how high that snow was from shoveling all the time. And so you'd have to throw it way up in the air to get it out of the rink now. And when you're learning how to shoot, you know, you're practicing your slap shots on the outdoor rink. If you shot a little too high, it would go into that snowbank. And you'd have to take your stick and dig a little hole and look for your puck. And many times you couldn't find your darn puck. And so I started figuring out at the end of the year when all the snow melts, that walked by the rink. And I found a gazillion pucks that had been stuck in that snowbank. And so I was never short of pucks. And so, yeah, we, it, it was cold out there. And, you know, you would wear your helmets and then you wear a toque and you wear gloves under your hockey gloves and uh, you just dressed as warm as you could. And the parents that, whose kids were on the team, we didn't come from a necessarily well-to-do neighborhood. Every now and then you get a parent that would step up and say, I'm going to buy all the kids a hot chocolate. They deserve it whether it was a game or practice, and we were freezing. Because once you freeze your toes or your fingers or your ears or your nose or your cheeks, you do that once or twice, it takes next to nothing to freeze them again. So all us all us kids had frozen just about every part of our body. So we'd get cold. So when they bought us the hot chocolate, there would be kids on their team, I still remember. Like I would drink the hot chocolate, it helped warm me up. But there's some kids, when your toes are frozen and they're thawing, it hurts. And these guys would actually throw hot chocolate on their socks to try to bring their toes down to like room temperature. And, you know, so it was very cold out there. And um, as you, you know, I got to maybe junior hockey is when I first started getting indoor rinks and indoor practices. What a treat that was, Chris. And so, you know, I live in Edmonton, as a lot of you know. When I go to the local rink, before in Winnipeg, the ice would be ready probably September, October. And as you're walking to the rink, carrying your skates and your stick, and uh, you can hear the pucks bouncing off. All the kids used to be playing in the outdoor rinks. And now, for the most part, in Edmonton, the area I live in, the 
rinks aren't ready till January, and then even then they might last about a month or something like that. So, what I experienced in Winnipeg, it's from uh, a past era, that's for sure, Chris. So we wanted to thank everyone uh, who follows Dad on social media, Twitter, Cam Connor NHL, and you're on Facebook and Instagram, and always feel free to send an email at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. So I thought we would talk about the Cassian Kachuk fight. Uh, I'm sure most of you, I believe it probably happened a week and a half ago, so most have already seen the fight a few times it was on tv here a lot so if you want to just i guess go over what happened and what your thoughts are on that fight well chris everybody that has a podcast anybody that watches tv they've heard other people's comments they've uh and, and again they're, everybody's got their own opinion i think that uh you know if you're a hockey fan in the last 10 or 15 years you, you don't know what hockey was like many, many years ago. As I've said many times on this podcast, there was pretty well no rules, and you didn't see a lot of smaller forwards in there because they couldn't take the body checking, and you could run people from behind. That wasn't a penalty. You go in front of the net, you got hurt. The goalies would two-hand you over the ankles. Um, they cross-check you. The defenseman would spear you. Like It was guerrilla warfare in front of that net. And so... If you ask anybody that used to watch the game and, you know, as far as what Cassian did to Kachuk, to me, good for Cassian. Like, I can't even believe that George Perro, I believe his name is, who used to be a fighter in the NHL. Now he's on the other side of the fence. He's in charge of the suspensions. And I was shocked that he kind of buckled, oh, we better give him two games for that because he... He threw the guy around a bit. Kachuk wasn't hurt. Man, that was just part of the game back in the day. And Pearl was part of that. So I don't even know why he didn't have the balls to stand up and say, you know, Kachuk, he should get suspended too. He took a run at Cassian twice. And he left his, when the puck's in your own end and you're a winger, your job is to cover that defenseman. And so Cassian was already tied up behind the net twice. And Kachuk went out of his way to take a run at Cassian. And because he had his casting was occupied by somebody else. So it doesn't take any guts to run somebody that doesn't know you're coming and then not expect repercussions. So if you want to run a little guy and a little guy's going to fight a little guy, big deal. But you want to run the tough guy and think you're going to get away with that? I think that two-game suspension, it's unfortunate he got it. I certainly don't think he deserves it. And my hat's off to Cassian for going after him. He, he had patience the first time. And the first time he hit him with a shoulder, knocked Cassian's helmet off. Cassian didn't retaliate. The guy did it again. And to me, that happened to me. You know what? You know that's a lack of respect. That Kachuk didn't respect Cassian. And he figured he can't do anything to me in today's rules. And he was right. He couldn't. But you can only take so much. And, I, and I'm and i disappointed Perot, George Perot, didn't at least suspend both of them. Because that was a that was cowardice. And then the question in Edmonton is, some people I work with said, oh yeah, Cassian's going to go right after him. So their next game in Edmonton, there's the NHL break. First game back, 
is the Oilers versus Calgary in Edmonton. And so some people say, yep, they're going to old Cassian's going after him. Not a hope in hell, right? Cassian's not going to forget. And if it takes two games or three games, if Kachuk has his head down or you get a chance to step into him, he's going to he's gonna do his best to hit him hard, even if it takes a couple-minute penalty. But he's not going to go and try to fight him because Kachuk buries his head, covers up again, and then Cassian's got another two, four-game suspension. So I think, I do believe that when opportunity knocks, you open the door. So that Kachuk, and I don't see him saying, okay, you know what, I embarrassed myself. I'm going to go after Cassian and I'll drop my gloves and challenge him. I don't see that happening. I would like to see that, you know, I'd like to see him say, okay, i got to redeem myself and I'm going to square off with him and have a fair fight. I think you might get some respect back, but I uh, I don't think there's too many people, especially people that used to watch the game it was, that agree with uh, causing that shit and then just bailing and not fighting back. So since we're talking about, I guess, a current topic, a lot of people online were curious uh, what your thoughts are, just generally speaking, at the midway point of the season and how your your cup prediction's going. You know, I scan every day. I, I scan every single day the standings, and I, and I go over the game summaries. You know, not to the point where, I mean, if I did it for a living, you'd make notes and you'd Make sure you remembered everything. I don't do it for a living. I look, and, and the only thing I can see is that Tampa Bay, they're they are doing very well. I think I heard they won 10 games in a row. If that goaltender is stopping pucks, they got some firepower. And when the playoffs come, they'll be in the playoffs. They're a team like the Oilers. You don't want to play them because you just don't know which team's showing up. If it's a Tampa Bay team, and all their talent rises to the top and the goalie stopping pucks, they could surprise a lot of teams. So, you know, I really start following it closer the last 10, 12 games of the season. And when, you know, there's a team playing and they realize, you know, we got to make the playoffs or we want to keep home game advantage. And so that's really good hockey. So that's really when I start paying attention, Chris. And during the break from our episodes, you had a player that either you played against, but I think you played with, named uh, J.C. Mignot, that passed away. And uh, I believe he was a player that only played in the WHA. Uh, So he's someone that maybe you can Google if you're interested while you, I guess, share some thoughts on his passing. You know... There's been lots of players that have played in the world hockey in the NHL. And, you know, everybody knows the main guys that get all the ink and do all the television interviews. And, uh, but, you know, the chemistry of a team, you get the guys that go in the corners and get the puck. And, you know, there's lots of them that do some little things that aren't recognized, but they're so valuable on the team. That's just like when you pick an all-star team to go play the Russians or something, you can't just pick all your goal scorers. You need somebody that's going to go in the corners and get the puck for the goal scorer. So you got to mix up the talent that you put on a team. And J.C. Mignot, he was one of these guys that, uh, you know, you played with him, you loved him, he was a great person, he was a good teammate. If you played against him, you may not even know who he was. And uh, with J.C., I played with him 
I thought he was a wonderful person. I wish our path would have crossed after hockey. And people that do follow my podcast on a regular basis, you might remember a story I told you about when I played for Phoenix Roadrunners. And uh, our goalie left the crease and went into the corner to move the puck out of our end. And what he did is he got caught in the corner and he passed it to the other team. And that person on the other team threw it to their player in the slot. And J.C. Mignot was standing beside the net and he realized there was no goalie. And that the guy shooting the puck had an empty net. So he decided I better jump in the net. And so that guy didn't just take a low shot. He drilled a slap shot and hit J.C. Mignot right in the bridge of the nose. And uh, J.C. went down. And and you might think I'm exaggerating with what I'm telling you. I'm not exaggerating. I've seen guys get hit with a puck in the face. I got hit in the puck a couple times in the face. And uh, it it hurts. But he got it in the freaking nose, right in that bridge. And it was shot so hard from so close. That rubber puck, and it's frozen, it was pushed right into his nose. And and this is the truth. It was embedded in his nose that the guys had to pull the puck out out of his nose. It was just pushed right in. It was unbelievable. And so poor JC, you know, when you break your nose, it bleeds quite bad. And so if you've ever been around somebody that has a broken nose, they stuff it with... uh, gauze and uh so they pack it in there like you can't even believe how much gauze they put in your nostrils i guess to try to get that shape back so they stick it in there and they stick it in there so if i've been in the dressing room a few times when you've had it in for x amount of weeks and now it's time to take that gauze out oh my friend if you ever get a chance to see it like it's gross but it's kind of interesting that you, you they would pull I'm not, I'm not lying. I think probably four minutes straight pulling the gauze out of the nose. Three minutes for sure. Just keep pulling and pulling and you go, well, how do you get all that gauze in there? And they just keep pulling and pulling and pulling because they put rolls of it. They unravel it, put it in so it comes out, you know, just like toilet paper. It's unbelievable. So, JC, I've never seen so much gauze come out of that nose. It was unreal. So he just said, that's it. I'm never jumping in that again. And then he wore, I believe, a cage after that, even before cages were popular. He uh, started wearing a cage. So, JC, you're a good teammate and even a better person. We're going to miss you, buddy. And I'm just sorry that I never got to see you again after hockey was over. So often you get uh, different video clips and uh, stats and different things sent your way. So... We had a, a chuckle over a fight that you had with a player named Tom Rowe. And uh, do you want... I, we haven't posted it. And maybe you, you can explain why we haven't, but maybe we will. But uh, do you want to talk about that fight and uh, why it bothers you? Well, when I played, we didn't have VCRs. And uh, there's very few fights of myself over the years. I mean, I had the great majority of fights in the world hockey. And that was a crazy, crazy league with some crazy tough hockey players. And, um, you know, I don't want to sit here and brag. You could ask guys that I played with or against their opinion on my fighting abilities. But whenever I see some fights that have been posted on me in the NHL, 
I just did average. Nobody, you know, I, I, I used to be able to throttle some guys, and now it's like uh, this Tom Rowe guy who, in my opinion, and I think he's coaching or a manager somewhere in the NHL now. He played for Washington Capitals. And somebody took a little bit of a run at me, I thought, and so I was concentrating on seeing who that person was, and he just came over. And I really wasn't worried about him, and he just kind of grabbed me behind the back of the neck. So my instincts, I did a lot of wrestling as kids in, with Roddy Piper as well. So when they're pulling my head down, I just grab their pants, the bottom of their pants, and I could lift them up, throw them down. So that's what I was going to do. And um, as I was throwing them, he kind of went over top of me. And then, you know, he was throwing some punches as I'm trying to get back up my feet. And I did. And I know right now, if the linesman did jump in there, I, I would have kicked his butt. But when I watched this, I said, not another one of these fights of mine where I didn't really do too much in the fight. So if anybody out there has got any fights of me that I won, I'd love to see it. Please send it to me. Uh, it's, uh, my ego is going down here. So anyways, so I told my son when he sent me that, I said, I said, up, I said, you know what, I'd like to have round two because once I started fighting, just like my buddy Roddy Piper, we didn't like to fight in the street, but once we started fighting, we wanted another one, another one, it was hard to calm us down. And that's kind of what happened to me on the ice. Once, uh, you know, I started fighting, okay, who else wants it? And that's usually, you know, how I was. I wasn't always like that, but anyway, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I should uh, post that one with Tom because I heard the announcer go, oh, Tom won that fight. He threw punches, but, I mean, I didn't have a mark on me. I didn't feel it. I think he maybe hit my shoulders, but he didn't get me in the face. So, Tom, if you're listening, let's do round two, buddy. Okay, so you have a question from Brian, who sent you an email. And he writes, Hello, I really enjoy the show. I never played hockey, but I am a big fan of it. With all the cheating talk in baseball, I was wondering if there is any way for an NHL team to cheat and affect a game the way the Houston Astros did by stealing signs. Thank you for your time and keep up the good work. So Chris, when we talk about cheating in the game, there's a couple of things that pops in my head. There is no forward that can really change the game. I mean, maybe you could say, okay, Mario Lemieux was to take a bribe and okay, I won't score any points this night or Gretzky, you know, maybe, but there's still... 20 other guys that are trying to score. So I, I don't really think you can compare cheating in baseball to maybe hockey. The only things I could think of is if somebody wanted to fix a game, you could maybe get to the goaltender. The goaltender could control what goes in and what doesn't go in. And so he's somebody that's vulnerable to be on the take, although in hockey that doesn't happen. And then the other thing I can think of is I know that some teams get pissed off. Let's just make up a scenario. So there's five games, ten games to go in the year. Everybody's jockeying for positions. Let's say there's five games. And we'll just use Tampa Bay. I'm just making this up. So Tampa Bay, they know that they pretty well got their position locked up. And, uh, you know, they're going to finish first. And they're going to have the home games. And so there's the, let's say they're taking on... Calgary Flames and Edmonton needs Calgary to lose because you know maybe that helps the Edmonton's position and what you'll see in the playoffs 
towards the end, before the playoffs, towards the end of the regular season, is that a team may say, like Tampa Bay, well, you know what, we're not going to start against Calgary, our number one goalie, and maybe we'll give our top line a rest going into the playoffs. So we don't need the points. And so we're not going to play our three best players, and uh, we're not going to play our number one goalie. And you're Edmonton, and you go, well, what the hell are they doing? Because you need Calgary to lose to Tampa Bay. And now when you get rid of three or four players, you kind of even the score now, and Calgary's got a way better chance of winning, and which will affect the Oilers. So that's about the only thing that I could see. And that's not cheating. That's you got to take care of your own club. So, you know, if you put yourself that it's down to the last five games, then shame on you. So I, I, I would agree with you got to take care of your, your team, rest your key guys, and if that's your decision, so be it. But, again, the team that wants Calgary to to lose, they're not feeling real good about this, and they're pissed off at Tampa Bay. Okay, and we'll end the podcast with something that you haven't shared with many people. And you actually were waiting until your parents passed before you shared this information, mostly because you didn't want them to worry about you. But you're going to share it just so that other people can maybe know the signs or learn from your experience. So what happened, Dad, about, what was it, six years ago? Nah, probably, you know, time, life flies. I'm going to say maybe seven years ago, maybe eight I was I hadn't skated for a number of years, and the NHL alumni were coming in. And these guys, they play 82 games a year. They don't have to work. And they're in good shape, and their timing is real good. That I hadn't skated. And they offered me some money to play hockey on the weekend. I said, well, I could use the money. So, uh, yeah, okay, I'll play, guys. And so there was five days of skating at uh, it was called the Northlands Coliseum or Rexall Place, where the Oilers play. And we had the ice there, so... The NHL guys were in early, and so we went on the ice, and we would have scrimmages. And I remember the one night I was there, and I was sitting on the Oilers bench, and, you know, my shift, and I realized that these guys are way better than I am. And most hockey players have a lot of pride. And so I said, well, I cannot be the worst guy on the ice. So I'm going to push myself every shift just as hard as possible. Even if it hurts, I'm going to push myself. It's a mental toughness. So that's what I was doing. I was back-checking and I was doing everything you would as if you were in shape, which was a mistake. So after one shift, I came off the bench and I'm sitting on the Oilers bench. You know, hockey players, athletes, we I've broken knees, ankles, hands, vertebrae. And and you and you and you know you stretch knee ligaments and then you go on and on and on and on and on, and you know what that pain feels like. So when I'm sitting on the bench, I kind of felt, you know, almost like a muscle spasm in my chest, and I said to myself, "Well, I'll just uh, sit on the bench here and shake it off, and then I'll go." But you know, after a minute or two, I wasn't feeling that good, so I said, "Well, I think my day's over today." So I started walking under the tunnel. And, you know, when you got skates on, you got to walk on this carpet that takes you back to the dressing room. And there was a chair next to the carpet. So I said, well, I'll just sit on this chair. And it'll, you know, it'll it'll pass whatever. And again, I was thinking maybe it was a muscle spasm. And if you've ever had a muscle spasm in your chest, which I have had, that is very painful. 
So I sat there and I wasn't feeling any better. So I said, yeah, I better go. So I waited, like I said, five minutes. I wasn't getting better. So I went into the dressing room. So I bent over to take my skates off and I couldn't really do it. It was too uncomfortable. And so I said, well, maybe if I lay on the ground in the dressing room. So I laid down and uh, still didn't help. And I went on my left side, thinking maybe a different position and helped. Then I tried my right side, and nothing was helping. So I laid there half hour. It kind of started to come around, and I got up, and I was able to get my gear off. And then the guys were coming off the ice, and they were giving me shit, saying, Man, you floater, I had to do your shift. Where were you? And I just laughed, and I went in and showered. And uh, after, the guys went out for chicken wings. And beer, so I just joined them. I went and had beer and chicken wings. And so when I came home that night, I said to the wife, I said, uh, yeah, I had this funny sensation in my chest. I said, but, you know, and she's, and again, if you follow my podcast, you know that I've dated my wife since about 15 years old. So she's seen me in so many casts and broken bones and cuts and scraps and everything else. And so, it was just another ache and pain. So she just said, well, here, take this aspirin. So I took some an aspirin or two and uh, went to bed. And I'd never missed a day of work ever, and I didn't want to. So I got up, and I started getting ready for work. And then I started thinking. I said, well, you know, I've never, I don't know. I haven't experienced that kind of pain. Maybe I ought to err on the cautious side. So I got a hold of my doctor. And this doctor in Canada won Physician of the Year for all of Canada, voted by his peers. So I phoned him up and he said, well, come in at 3 o'clock. So I stayed home that day. I went in and the doctor had me tell him what I just said, you know, what I experienced. And he said, so what do you think happened? I said, I don't know, maybe a little, little mild heart attack. So you can tell if you've had a heart attack through through a blood test. So he told me because... His office at the time was right at the University of Alberta Hospital here in Edmonton. So he said, go next door and they'll do a blood test and bring back the results. So I brought the results back and he said to me, he said, you've had a pretty good heart attack, my friend. And, you know, I didn't know the signs. I always thought a heart attack was going to be sharp pains. That's what I envisioned a heart attack. And when you go in the doctor's office, every single doctor, they would say to me, so... Did it feel like there was an elephant standing on your chest? And I guess that's what most people feel. I didn't. And if you know your sports and you know what a catcher's mitt looks like. And you know another thing I didn't know? I thought, you know, your heart was over on your left side. It's right in the middle of your chest. I didn't know that. Cause... So anyways, if you put a catcher's mitt over the middle of your chest, that whole area was numb. And it was just numb. It didn't, I wasn't out of breath. I was already sweating because I was skating, but I didn't have the symptoms, pain going down the shoulder, down the arm. I didn't have those symptoms. And so again, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have gone out for beer after having a heart attack. So, you know, they told me I got to get into emergency. And I remember I parked my vehicle in a no park. Well, it was five o'clock. They tow you away. So I told the doc, why don't I just go home? bring my vehicle home and I'll come back later. He said, get in the hospital right now. You're not going away and coming back. Anyways, I was in there for six days and I had uh, three stents put into the major arteries. And then I had a blood clot. And so they tried to dissolve the blood clot and they couldn't. But they got the three stents in there. And uh, I remember they told me, you can't drive for 30 days. 
They didn't physically take your driver's license away. They said you can't drive. Well, it was important to me that I worked. I just didn't want to be a floater. So I remember phoning the president of the company up and I said, listen, I'm back out of the hospital. You know, I, I'm not supposed to drive, but I'm able to drive. I'll be in tomorrow. And they just said, Cam, you're not allowed on our property. And you've been gone six days and the company didn't fold yet. So stay away for your 30 days. So so I did. I, I decided I didn't want to tell my parents. And I remember every weekend I would phone my mom and dad. Every single weekend. And if I forgot, they would phone me. And so I, it was important that uh, in my hospital, in the hospital, I went into the bathroom because it was because there's always somebody announcing, you know, something over the PA in the hospital. So I thought it'd be quiet in there. And then, oh man, I can't believe how many times they made an announcement that they went right into the bathroom. And parents just say, "Where, where are you?" I said, "Oh, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I said, but I was, I couldn't tell the truth." So I never told my siblings. I never told my parents anybody that I had a heart attack because I didn't want them to worry. There was not a thing they could do for me but worry. And when they get older like that, it's not good for them to worry. So, you know, my family knew. I told my family, don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody into Winnipeg to know this. And so now that they've passed, I did tell my one brother this. But, uh, I mean, there's nothing for you to learn, but, but you know. Yeah, there is a lesson. You don't. When you feel the pain, you don't wait till the next day to go to the hospital, right? You should have went straight away and not. Well, you maybe, but I again, when you play hockey and you get hurt all the time, it, when you see guys get a puck in their mouth and they've lost their teeth, these guys go get the teeth pulled. They're back. They they get back right away. They don't take a day or two off, and that's what hockey players, for the most part, at least back in the day. We loved the game so much, and we wanted to play. I got a guy butt-ended me in the mouth, split my lip wide open, I could wiggle all my teeth, cut my tongue wide open. I couldn't wait to get back up, stitch up my lips. The only thing I remember, we were on the road, and they were stitching my lips up, and I just remember saying to the doctor, who knows when you're on the road? Man, it could be a veterinarian that's stitching you up. We don't know. And I remember laying on the table, and I said, Doc, you better just line my lips up. So that was my biggest fear is my lips wouldn't come together properly. So as soon as he stitched me up, I went into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror. I said, okay, they're, they're lined up. So I had this, you know, this pain, but I, I didn't associate it with a heart attack because if I thought I had a heart attack, I wouldn't try to be a hero because you're never going to win with a heart attack. Um, so I just thought it was just a strain, a muscle spasm. It was just, you know, and maybe the lesson is, you know what, as you get older, um, I used the phrase already today, error on the cautious side. So that's what I did the next morning when I was going to go to work and just blow it off. And I think the moral of the story is, is that the wife gave me some aspirin. And aspirins are blood thinners. And I believe that really, really helped me. And it saved me from maybe having another heart attack. So anyway, so that's my story about it. And uh, so if you think, you know, you, you might have had a heart attack. Don't go out for beer and don't go out for chicken wings after. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone. And uh, don't forget, send us an email, viewfromthepenaltybox.com. Until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cal.